This reminds me of the story of the vicar who was having trouble with his microphone one Sunday morning and the congregation could hardly hear him. But they followed the liturgy dutifully and gave the uh, responses. And finally, the vicar sighed, there's something wrong with this microphone. And also with you came the response. I've, told, I've been told to be good this morning. So we're now in a JFZ, Juliet Foxtrot Zulu, a joke-free zone. I'm sorry, Sue's positively vetted it. No naughtiness, just getting on with the job in hand. So Hebrews 11. Oh, before I start, just a couple of uh, announcements. If anyone feels a dire need to escape and bail out before the end, there are emergency exits here, here, and here. And thanks for that about yawning, Dave. If you find yourself falling asleep and bobbing off, having a nice sort of post-breakfast stroke pre-lunch doze this morning, you will be named and shamed. I can see you. So, we continue our study into Hebrews with the last section from chapter 11. We seem to have been studying Hebrews for quite a time, don't we? So let's remind ourselves of the whys and the wherefores of the letter. And this is fast becoming my favourite book, by the way. Just looking at the clock at 12 o'clock, I turn into a pumpkin. So that's me. The letter was being written to the early Jewish Christians who were undergoing fierce persecution, socially and physically, both from their fellow Jews and the occupying Romans. The letter was being written to the early Jewish Christians who were undergoing fierce persecution. They were probably second generation who may have been considering a return to Judaism, perhaps because of immaturity, in Christianity, stemming from a lack of understanding of biblical truths. You see, Judaism was not a second-rate or easy to follow. It was not second-rate or easy to follow. Judaism was divinely designed, expressing true worship and devotion to God. The commandments, the rituals, and the prophets described God's promises and revealed the way to forgiveness and salvation. But Jesus came fulfilling the law and the prophets, conquering sin, shattering all barriers to God, and freely providing eternal life. Oh, the first one. Yes. The message was difficult for Jews to accept. Although they had sought the Messiah for centuries, they were entrenched in thinking and worshipping in traditional forms. Following Jesus seemed to repudiate their marvellous heritage and scriptures. And with caution and with questions, they listened to the gospel, but many rejected it and sought to eliminate this heresy. Those who did accept Jesus their Messiah as their Lord and Saviour often found themselves slipping back into familiar routines, trying to live a hybrid faith. Hebrews is a fantastic letter, isn't it? We've found that over the last few weeks. And it was written to these Jews who were evaluating Jesus and struggling with their faith, their new faith. The message of Hebrews, as we heard a few weeks ago from David, is that Jesus 
is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Christianity is superior. Jesus Christ is supreme and completely sufficient for salvation. Can you remember, Hebrews begins by emphasizing that Judaism and Christianity were both revealed by God. The writer then shows us how Jesus is superior to the angels, superior to their leaders, and superior to their priests. Christianity surpasses Judaism. It has a better covenant. It has a better sanctuary. It has a more sufficient sacrifice for sins. And having established the superiority of Christianity, the writer moves on to more practical issues of following Jesus. The readers are exhorted, that's earnestly urged, to hold on to their new faith, to encourage one another and look forward to the return of Jesus. And they are warned of consequences of rejecting Jesus and reminded of the rewards of faithfulness. Chapter 11 begins with the definition of faith, which we looked at four weeks ago. We said it plenty of times in the last few weeks. Can we remember, faith is being sure of... Disaster. Thank you, Peter. That was a disaster. Faith is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'm going to give you an easier one. This is the one I always remember. Faith is the trust in and reliance on God. Faith is the trust in and reliance on God. And the author then goes on to explain how to live by faith, giving illustrations of the faithful men and women in Israel's history. Enoch, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses and Rahab. And we've learnt about them all during the last few weeks. This is some letter, isn't it? Eleven and a half chapters in. And then he says, and what more can I say? I do not have time to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, and the prophets. Oh, joy. He must be nearly finished. I've just realized my Bible's on the floor. And has been kicked, sorry. Oh, joy. He's got to be nearly finished. You can almost hear the sigh of relief from the readers, can't you? Thank goodness... He hasn't got time. So this morning, we are looking at the author's conclusion to this great faith hall of fame. He gives two principles of faith. We will see the great victories of faith, and we also see the enduring virtue of faith. Thankfully, we have loads of time this morning. So hang on to your seats, everyone. We could be in for a long do. So if you can turn to your Bibles to Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 32 onwards to the end of the chapter. Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. And women received back their dead, 
raised to life again. We're just going to leave it there for a the few minutes. These are all people that the readers were well used to hearing about, aren't they? They have known about these people all of their lives. The stories of old, the great battles and the victories. These were Hebrew heroes. We all need heroes, don't we? We need models to live up to. And these were the model Jews of their time. These were the people to aspire to. And a model is the standard of the best that can be found. It's exemplary. The most excellent of its kind. That's why the ladies who walk up and down the catwalks, and the men of course, are found called models. They have apparently the female or male form at its best. Janice Dickinson, I know you're looking at me thinking, that's right Pat. (laughs) I can see it in your eyes. I can do the walk as well. (laughs) I could have been a model. I went to see the... Janice Dickinson, the model, was having a conversation with her agent. And the agent replied to her, Janice, who do you think you are, a superman? She replied, no, I'm a supermodel. And you will refer to me as a supermodel. And you will start a supermodel division. And this was how the term supermodel began. This list of famous Jews isn't just a list of model Hebrew citizens. These people were supermodels of faith. They were the best. They were exemplary. In fact, I would dare to say that the people were the superheroes of their time. I would be disappointed now, because at this point I was going to pull on a pair of red underpants over the top of my trousers. But I've been looking high and I've been looking low, and I cannot find any. I've been to all my usual underwear retailers, Asda's, Tesco's, Burton's, nothing. What is with all these drab colours, guys? Greys and browns. Anyway, I couldn't find any. But my son did suggest I wore a Superman onesie, which he's got. So he can pass it to me now. <laughs> I look good in a onesie. I bet you lot have got onesies. Hands up if you've got a onesie. I knew it. I knew it. Deary, deary, deary me. Yeah, I can just imagine you all sat there in onesies. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Samuel and the prophets, they aren't just pretty faces though, and were not really known for the clothes they wear, were they? They were known for the things that they have done. We're told that they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice and gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Wow! And women received back their dead, raised to life again. How did they do this? They did this through their faith, through their trust in and reliance on God. Their trust in and reliance on God. They are supermodels, superheroes of what our faith is all about. They model for us how faith is lived out in the lives of real people. The author now talks about these six additional figures whose lives span from the time of Judges through the monarchy and ends with the inclusion of the prophets. These men who are mentioned are intended to be suggestive of a host of men and women who would live for God in a hostile world.
Gideon, the first listed. We all know the stories, don't we? Is a powerful example of faith in that he and 300 select men routed the Midian, Midianite army with, uh, with torches and empty jugs, didn't they? Barak, when the judges ruled Israel, was a military leader who, along with Deborah, led Israel to defeat Sisera and the Canaanites. Samson, usually remembered for his great strength of faith and his lack of hair. Yet in spite of his weaknesses, he was a great champion of Israel during a period of Philistine oppression. Jephthah, often remembered for his foolish vows, placed his faith in God and relied on this, his power to overcome the Ammonites. David, a man who could and did make tragic mistakes all of his life, didn't he? Was first and foremost a man of faith. And David is called a man after God's own heart. Because of his faith and his desire to do the will of God. Samuel was first of the prophets and the last of the judges. He started as a young boy and continued through his life serving God. Cheerfully, courageously and confidently accepted God's commands. And faced whatever opposition came along. You see, they realized that this life was not just about themselves, but about serving God. They stepped out and put themselves on the line. They put God first and trusted and had absolute reliance upon him. They had incredible faith. They understood that it just wasn't about themselves but it was about him. Verse 33, it says, who, thr- who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. First we see the rather broad overview of the results of these believers' faith. They saw political victory in that they, through faith, conquered kingdoms. And then they achieved moral success in government as they administered justice. And in the King James Bible, it says they wrought righteousness. Wrought righteousness. And righteous being the state of being perfect, without sin, an attribute of God, I've got in my Bible. They put together, as well as they could, a God-inspired justice system. The message reads, they made justice work. I like wrought righteousness, don't you? They wrought righteousness. Wrought righteousness. It's got a certain ring to it, hasn't it? Wrought righteousness. And they achieved spiritual reward in that they um, obtained promises. They obtained the promises. That is, they received words of promise from God. But secondly, these supermodels and superheroes of faith saw various forms of personal deliverance. It says, those who stopped the mouths of lions... Seems to be an obvious reference, doesn't it, to Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den and left overnight, but was unscathed. And it was Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who quenched the fury of the flames. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, weren't they, for their refusal to worship false gods. Many of the prophets, including Elijah, Elisha, and Jeremiah, escaped the edge of the sword. And stories such as David's defeat of Goliath with a sling and Gideon's victory over the Midianites demonstrated that whose weakness was turned to strength. Verse 34. 
The Old Testament contains many examples of groups, doesn't it, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies through their faith. Through their faith. Elijah cried out to the Lord, and the widow of Zarephath's child had life restored. Verse 35, it says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. Elisha brought back life to life. The woman from Shunem's son, by laying on the boy's body, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, it says. And this woman of Shunem, she travelled 20 miles to Mount Carmel and back to fetch Elisha. At least two days travelling. What faith this woman had. Faith in Elijah and faith in the Lord that he could do this marvellous thing. I don't know about you, but whenever the dead are mentioned and raised to life, I cannot help but think of the time lapse. And the decomposition in the heat of the Middle East to say nothing of the smell. And we are told Elisha laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes. His hands on the child's hands. And he stretched out on him. He stretched out on him. And as he did this, the child's body began to grow warm again. How is that for faith and trust? Faith and trust and reliance on God. How is that, people? Could we do that? Would you dare do that? Fantastic stories of encouragement, aren't they, for these early Christians, who we know from chapter 10 had already undergone persecution and were under threat of persecution as they read this letter. And it's good to remind ourselves, isn't it, of of what God has done, and indeed what God is doing in our lives. It strengthens your faith to hear stories of answered prayer and miracles. And this is one of the reasons why we gather together on a Sunday morning and midweek to help one another in our Christian walk. Do you remember when? Have you heard what God has Do you remember? Can you remember when we moved from Kelmarsh with about 70 people? And God refurbished the whole of the inside of the memorial hall and the outside. And we've now swelled to 300. Prophetic? Can you remember that fantastic healing? Can you remember the word that God gave me? Can you remember? Did I tell you when? Did I tell you when? That I had my back prayed for by Stuart Bell. And from that moment onwards, it went down, downhill very, very quickly. To cut a very, very long story short, ask me about it sometime, it meant that I would not be sat in one of the starboard lifeboats which plunged to the waters of King George Dock, killing two people. God had plans for me. He wanted me here this Sunday morning to talk to you a lot about faith. I had to cling on to the fact that I had been prayed for during the months of agony. I had to remember that God's hand was upon my life. Trusting and reliance on God. Be encouraged, church. Can you remember when? Can you remember when? We all have stories of God intervening in our lives. It's good to share stories, isn't it? And it's good to encourage one another. Church, we must do it more. We must encourage one another. It builds our faith. And this is what this letter is doing. It's bolstering up and encouraging the early church. But if the faith of God's people could boast of spectacular achievements in the form of military victories and miraculous deliverance and the raising of the dead, it was no less inspiring than the willing endurance by others of horrible torture 
and cruel death. Now, I just don't do horror stories or horror films or horror fiction of any kind. I just can't stand it. I like my films, tell you my reading, to be of the light entertainment kind. I found it hard to watch the start of one of the Pirates of the Caribbean film. If it ain't edifying, turn it off as far as I'm concerned. And there is decidedly a different tone to this second half of the passage. And we're going to start off in verse 35, sort of second half of verse 35. Verse 35, Hebrews 11. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Stoned and sawn in two. I think that if I was to be sawn in two, I'd like to be stoned first, don't you? (laughs) Spot the difference. Not all men, not all the men and women of faith experience miraculous deliverances. Not all men and women of faith experienced miraculous deliverances. Some of them were tortured and died. I've been giving myself myself nightmares reading about this. We glibly read tortured, don't we? And we don't really comprehend, we don't really understand what men and women have endured for the faith and what men and women are still enduring for the faith. We've heard earlier this morning, this is going on today, and next weekend we're praying for the persecuted church. And church, come along. These people need our prayers. Men and women are being killed for their love of God. Men and women are being killed because they're standing firm in their faith for Jesus. By the time we've finished this morning, by the time we've finished at 12 o'clock, and since I've started, one more Christian will have been murdered. One more Christian will have been tortured. One more Christian will have, been di- will have died purely for loving Jesus. And standing up for their faith. There are 50 countries in the world right now where Christian persecution is severe. Christians are being persecuted right now. Christians are being murdered for the faith today. As we sit in this lovely hall. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? And history is littered with people who've been martyred for the faith. I've been researching, it's, it's not been good reading, none more so than a story from about 170 BC. I won't spare you the details. I won't, I'm going to spare you the details. And it's of Elasia, the priest, and Solomon, and their seven sons, who were all horrifically tortured and killed one by one in front of Solomon, the mother, by a tyrant called Antiochus IV Epiphanes, for refusing to eat pork and food sacrificed to idols. Killings and torture. Killings and torture. Killings and torture. Feeling uplifted, church? This is a book of encouragement. Stay with me. Others were not only physically tortured, but they had to endure jeers, the jeers of those who hated them. Verse 35. These verses read like a nightmare, don't they? 
after the encouragement of the superheroes. These are people of faith who realised it was not about them, but it was all about him. You see, we must realise also that it's not about us, but it's about him. This text, or part of the text, isn't about conquering any kingdoms at the moment, but rather being swallowed up by the way of the world, being overcome by the evil that's around us. Is that the way you feel this morning? Is that the way you feel this morning? The lions are devouring us. The fires are consuming us. The swords are cutting us to pieces. Stay with me. This is a letter of encouragement. What distinguishes the people in the first half from the people in the last half of the text? In some cases, absolutely nothing. In some cases, the same people are listed in both halves of the text. They saw wonderful victories. And at other times, they endured seeming defeat. The people in both parts are characterized by their faith. For the author says in verse 39 that all these, all these had faith. And it says these others had faith, but God didn't see fit to deal with them, did he? In the same way, he dealt with those who had experienced the victories. These unknown men and women of faith were not delivered from difficult circumstances, yet God honors their faith. God honors their faith. Listen, it takes more faith to endure than it does to accept escape. And these believers are like the three Hebrew young men in Daniel chapter 3. We've already mentioned them once. Threatened with death by fire. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Abednego. And they they were talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's in chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. And it says... Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, these are the lads talking to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to serve us from it, save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, listen, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They were pressured to deny God, but they chose to be faithful to him. No matter what happened, they trusted God to deliver them, but they were determined to be faithful, regardless of the consequences. And they were so polite with it, weren't they? O king, O king. It doesn't matter if he throws into the blazing furnace. O king, thank you. Listen, if God always rescued those who were true to him, Christians would not need faith. If God always rescued those who were true to him, Christians would not need faith. Christianity would be a great insurance policy, wouldn't it? And there would be lines of selfish people going down the road ready to sign up. We should be faithful to God. We should be faithful to God and to serve him whether he he intervenes on our behalf or not. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Our eternal reward, our eternal reward, is worth any suffering 
that we may have to endure first. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. In the section of the chapter emphasizing the exciting victories of faith, it was mentioned that some escaped the edge of the sword. And did you notice that later on in verse 37, it says, some were slain with the sword. What's that all about? Although Elijah escaped the vengeance of Jezebel, other prophets of the same period were slain. Jeremiah's life was delivered from Jehoam, the king, but his fellow prophet Uriah was slain by the sword and his body cast into a common grave. By faith one lived and by faith another died. In the time of the apostles, Herod Agrippa killed James with a sword, but Peter escaped. In spite of the fact that the world held these men and these women of faith in low esteem, this is not the estimation of God. And God said of them, of whom the world was not worthy, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. In verse 35 it says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. How can the death of a martyr be a better resurrection? Better than what? Well, the answer to that lays, lies in the first part of 35, verse 35, where it says, The women received their dead raised to life again. The widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman both saw their sons restored to life by Elijah and Elijah. They were restored to life, but obviously they had to die again. They were just mortals, like me and you. They had to die again. The resurrection that the martyrs aspired to was a resurrection to eternal life. The even better resurrection. The better, is, the better resurrection is the hope of all who die with Jesus and in Jesus, isn't it? As their Lord and their Saviour. I'm just going to quickly look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. And it says, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Amen? Amen? Amen! You with me? This is the resurrection that we all aspire to. All of us aspire to. Now I can hear you all thinking, but Pat, 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 we've never done any of those things. We aren't under the threat of persecution in this country. No, you haven't, and no, we aren't. But listen, each time you stand up for God at work, each time you stand up for God in the street, each time you stand up for God with your neighbours, each time you stand up for God with your family, each time you stand up for God at university or at school, each time you stand up for Jesus, you are standing firm in your faith. You are putting Jesus first. Each time you choose not to deny God, but to stand for him, then you have been a man and woman of faith. And this is what God wants. This is what God wants, church. Thankfully, we do not have any persecution, physical persecution in this country. 
But there are other forms, aren't there? People ridicule us. And they poo-poo our faith, don't they? Each time you stand up for God against the poo-poos, against the jeers and the mockery, you are being faithful. And in the words of General Melchett from Blackadder, poo-poo their poo-poos. Listen, God has strategically placed you where you are. You are in the perfect place this morning. If we are listening to him, if we are being obedient to him, and doing his work, doing what he desires us to do, standing firm in your faith, even when you're being ridiculed, then you are being faithful. You are being a hero for God. You are being a hero in God's eyes. Because he knows, he knows, he knows what it is like. He knows what you're going through in your own walk. And he has promised you that there is something better. There is something better for us. And that's our hope, isn't it, this morning? That's what we look forward to throughout all our trials and our tribulations. This is the faith we have. And we must press on. We must press on. We must press on and not fall back. The Bible could have told us of thousands of stories of people's lives. But instead, God chose specific stories that illustrates the struggles And successes of their faith in him. And often these Old Testament superheroes only did one thing in their life to merit a mention in scripture. But that one thing was a decision on their part that was meant to serve as a challenge to us today. Indeed, throughout the last 2,000 years, there have been many, many superheroes of faith. And we could talk of many people. And there's a story of a young Christian mother, Perpetua the daughter to a nobleman of Carthage. It's a long story, so I'm not going to read it all. And it's about 200 AD. And she's been found guilty of being a Christian. And along with a young slave girl that she'd befriended in jail, they're led with hundreds of other Christians to the amphitheater. And this is a horrible place. The men were torn to pieces by leopards and bears. Perpetua and Felicitas, the slave girl, were rolled up in a net, rolled up in a net, and flung into the arena to be tossed and gored to death by a furious bull. But he didn't kill them. He didn't kill them. And when it left them perpetually, she got up off the floor, and miraculously she seemed to have felt no pain whatsoever. And she twisted up her beautiful hair, which had fallen about her, and asked when the next beast was coming saying that she must not go to meet her Lord with unbound hair, which was a sign of woe. And she helped Felicitas to rise. And as the people had seen enough to satisfy themselves, they cried out to the two women to be put to death by the sword. And so they took leave of each other. And they walked cheerfully. (laughs) They walked cheerfully into the middle of the arena where the swords of the soldiers quickly sent them to glory. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. Are you still with me? We're nearly done. I've always wanted to stay and say this. Let's start to land this preach. (laughs) But please don't get me wrong. Am I suggesting that we need to have 
steely grit and a determined set to your jaw to be successful to God, for God. Listen, the secret to faith, the secret to faith is not just guts, it's spiritual transformation. It's allowing the Spirit of God to live in us. It's allowing God into every aspect of our lives. And then we show the fruits of the Spirit, don't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And being faithful is a part of having the Holy Spirit transform our lives. Trusting and relying on Him more and more. And we have no greater model than Jesus, do we? The superhero of all superheroes, who endured the mocking and the jeering, who endured physical pain and torture, who endured the shame of dying as a criminal, a condemned criminal, even though he'd done no wrong. Why? Because he was being obedient and faithful to his Father in God in heaven. And because he loved us so much, he loved us so much, he loved us so much. So that we may receive what God had planned for us. So that we may receive the promise. You see, we have Jesus. We have already some of the promise. We are already kingdom people. We have so much more than our Old Testament friends had. We just need to remain strong. We just need to remain faithful. And keep looking ahead. Keep looking forward. We need to keep encouraging one another. And surely we will receive the complete promise. Verse 39. It says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them, none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is a tricky verse or two. What does the promise refer to? Why had the Old Testament heroes not received the promise? What is the better thing that God has planned for us? And what is meant by made perfect? It says that they were all commended for their faith. And faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is how chapter 11 begins. And this is what these superheroes were commended for. And this is how... Chapter 11 concludes, all the faithful men and women, the known and the unknown, the famously triumphant and those who anonymously persevered under torture and suffering, all were commended for their faith. Their faith, rather than being extinguished by severe testing and oppression, it prevailed. It prevailed. These believers, though, died, it says, without having received and possessing the promise. They persevered in their faith, knowing that faith's reward is not always given now. Faith's reward is not always given now. Listen, God forgets no one. God forgets no one who loves and serves him. It pleases God to commend faith. It pleases God when we put him first. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. But yet it says that none of them received what had been promised. None of our supermodels and superheroes of faith received what had been promised. 
although many promises have been given and fulfilled during their lifetimes, they did not receive what had been promised. And the promise being the coming of the Messiah and the great salvation that Jesus offers. Every single one of the faithful from the Old Testament died before Jesus appeared on earth. They entered heaven with the promise unfulfilled. Why is this? Verse 40. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. No one was made perfect under the old covenant because Jesus had not yet died and risen from the dead. They were saved, but not until Jesus' work on the cross was complete could salvation be perfect. Their salvation looked ahead to what Jesus would do. Ours looks back to what he has done. Theirs look forward to what Jesus would do. Ours looks back to what he has done. And the something better is that we have the assurance of Jesus. We know that Jesus died and lived and died for our sins. And on the third day he rose to glory, didn't he? We have the promise of eternal life through Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. They, through their faith alone, had the hope of the coming Messiah and all that he would do. We can all now receive God's love. God's grace is open to everyone, isn't it? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, including all the people outside that door that are here this morning. Whereas previously, God made himself known to his people. We know that Jesus was raised to life. We know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Our Old Testament friends had faith in the coming Messiah. We know, we know, and have the assurance of the risen Lord Jesus. We are already kingdom people, folks. And what more encouragement should we need to keep pressing forward than that? Our salvation is more perfect now. Jesus is better. But someday in glory, it says, we'll be totally perfect. We'll be even better. Even better. And that's what we've got to look forward to. This life is nothing in comparison to the promise of eternal life. And that's an eternal life in glory. God has so arranged matters that the complete accomplishment of the promise, both to the Old and the New Testament believers shall take place together, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We and they shall be made perfect together. Made perfect together. We shall be complete. At the moment of resurrection, there will be a transformation. And we will be made perfect. We will be complete. Listen, God's Great story of faith is not complete without you. We are a part of God's story of faith, aren't we? God, looking down through the ages, foresaw that our lives would be a part of this great story of faith. What a fantastic and what an awesome privilege that is. I'm sorry, but I couldn't help but turn you the page in the Bible. That's what happens, isn't it? You turn the page... I'm just going to read very, very quickly. <gasps> I'll turn to a pumpkin. Chapter 12, the first three verses. 
Therefore, it says, chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded, and this is great, this just concludes, even though it's in the next chapter, it just sort of concludes everything. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 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 If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have the ability to be the supermodels and heroes for this generation. We have the ability to rise above who we are and become heroes of faith and inspire others to great deeds of faith also. In this time, in this age, to this generation. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we just pray, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus at all times. Father, please help us in our work, in our walk with you. Please help us to hold on to the promise that you have given each and every one of us. Help us to remain faithful, Lord, no matter what the circumstances or adversity. Help us, Lord, strengthen us, Lord, to press on forwards in our walk with you. Help us, Lord, to have a total trust in and reliance upon you. I thank you, Lord, that you've strategically placed us here in Beverly to do your work. Equip us, Lord, I pray, for the job that you would have us to do. Fill us, Holy Spirit, I pray, and help us to be encouragers and to be heroes for you in a land and an area that desperately needs to know your love. And we pray this in the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.